This is the Out of Water Podcast. Thanks for checking out our podcast. I'm the man behind the controls, Mark Lautenschlager. In studio with me today, your hosts, Pastor of Spiritual Formation, Reverend Sam Kastensmith, and Co-Director of Student Ministries, Drew Brown. This time on the Out of Water Podcast, we're continuing with our series on spiritual disciplines. Last time we talked about prayer. This time we're going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, I'm curious. Why, Sam, Mark, do you think that it's called the Lord's Prayer and not like another type of prayer? Like why the specific name of it? I guess my answer would be that it's it's coming out of the Lord's mouth. Uh-huh. You know, you you find the Lord's Prayer and it's like right in the center of the Sermon on the Mount. And so he's going about teaching all these different principles, just rich, wonderful teaching. And he gets right in the middle of it. And he says, when you pray, pray like this, this is how you should pray. And so because the words are coming out of his mouth, it's actually our prayer, but it's, it's the one time where the Lord says, this is how you should pray. And then he gives us, um, kind of a formula of how we should pray. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, I, I, you know, and I guess that raises the question of, is the Lord's Prayer a model for prayer, or is it a part of the liturgy that we repeat? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So right before that, if you get into that, I'm just going to read this passage sure. that, that precedes uh, the Lord's Prayer, but this is starting in chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew. It says, and notice this, it says, when you pray, so prayer is not an optional deal. Jesus is, this is an expected thing of somebody who's following Jesus. Mm-hmm. When you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. So it's saying if if, if you're out there in the public streets and you're saying, oh, look at me and you're showing everybody how holy and wonderful you are. You know, it's saying, you know, the applause of men. Congratulations. That's your reward, because God is not going to reward you for that. If you're if you're praying just to be noticed, if you're trying to be righteous, just so people say, what a great guy, that's your reward. Uh, And he goes on, he says, and when you pray, there it is again. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray for the third time there, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. One of the the passages I remember teaching is when Paul is being run out of Ephesus, which comes later in the New Testament. Mm Mm-hmm. They're upset because the worship of Jesus is starting to intrude upon the worship of, of Artemis, who is the god of the, the city of Ephesus. And they sit around and they chant, great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours. And that's all they say. And they just keep babbling that. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So they're like modern-day football fans. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. what you're saying. And, and they just keep babbling that. And that was customary throughout the ancient world. You'd find people when they were going to worship. They would just keep babbling the same words. And he's saying, don't do that. And one of the ironies is, is we take the Lord's Prayer that says, hey, don't just keep on babbling things without having any meaning or substance behind them. And then we make the Lord's Prayer precisely that, to where, you know, how many of us just go, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, you know, and you just race through it without ever stopping and go, what am I saying here? Hmm. And in this teaching, he's saying, don't do that. Uh, Don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Uh, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he says, this then is how you should pray. And then he launches into the Lord's Prayer. Because I, I had some friends that were pretty solid Catholics, they're practicing yeah. Catholics, like took it all very seriously. And uh, they could do the Hail Mary, like in a rapid fire machine gun yeah. pattern to the point that if I didn't know they were saying Hail Mary full of grace, that kind of thing, I wouldn't understand exactly what they were saying. And yet, <laughs> when I talked with them about that one time, the, the idea they expressed was that this was something that helped center their thoughts um, you know, it was, it was almost like a, a meditation mantra, like, okay, like we're going to sit down and we're going to chant something to, to center ourselves yeah. and to calm ourselves down. And in this case, they were thinking about Mary. There's a part of me that agrees that these kinds of repetitions mm-hmm. are not good because we tend to put more 
emphasis on them mm-hmm. than, than the Lord would have us do. But at the same time, I also wonder whether from a, a standpoint of allowing us to, to focus our busy minds and clear away other thoughts, if there's not a value to the recitation of the Lord's Prayer as some kind of discipline. Sure. I mean, there's anything you can recite. You can recite scripture just to sure. kind of give you some kind of calm. Because it is scripture, right? We're reciting the Lord put it in scripture for us. Absolutely. So. But there's going to be greater meaning. It's it's going okay. to do far more ministry to your soul when you stop and you consider the incredible, valuable truths that are buried in what you're actually praying so, and what God is inviting you into it, which is pretty amazing. Well, like I grew up and I was taught the Lord's Prayer at school, but also the church I grew up in, and we recited the Lord's Prayer every single Sunday. Right. And so from a young age, I could recite this without looking at it, but no one ever really walked me through the the weight of it or mm-hmm. the I never engaged with it in a, in a personal way. Mm-hmm. But I am thankful that it is was deeply ingrained into me. Um, and so I think if you could have that, like you're saying, Mark, of uh, the the discipline and the repetition of kind of ingraining these things on upon our heart, but also couple it with what does this mean? What, how do we interact with this in a, in a deeper dive like that? That it's really powerful, which I'm excited. Like as we talk about this today, well, as we go line by line, like what God is saying sure. in the richness of it. So, yeah. so let's find out where you guys stand. Are you debts or trespasses? There's a, there's a Christian inside. <laughs> there's a Christian insider joke. There, it's like, are you debts or trespasses? Yeah, when, half of the churches say trespasses. If you go into a Catholic church, or you, I think Lutheran and Episcopalian, forgive us our trespasses. Yeah, it's we all trespasses. A trespass against us. It's like, yeah, you go into the Presbyterians and the Baptists and, and they got debts. debts, and they so got like, debts. there's there's this suspense debts. moment as as they're reciting it, where it's like, uh, which do I say? I don't want to look dumb. Yes. You know? Well, and there's usually also, what I do is I just go silent at that part and see where they're at. See what everybody else says. Yeah. The other thing, of course, is at the very end of it, the other joke with me is always the forever and ever. Yeah. Amen. At the end of it, because Lutherans and Catholics are thine is the kingdom, power and glory forever and ever. Yeah. It's in case you weren't clear on the forever. Forever. It is and and ever. ever. Right. And so my problem. I was taught and ever. Forever and ever. Right. See, so, but here. So here it's. By the way, we are total nerds. Yes. It's just forever. (laughs) Amen. First time here. I'm like, we start to recite the Lord's Prayer. I'm like, I got this. I mean, this is 1985, so we're going way back. Lord's Prayer, I'm a pro. I was ra- I was acolyte. I had the catechism. I met, Okay. And then we get to the end of it. It's like, thine is the power of the kingdom forever. And then if you hear this voice, and ever. <laughs> and everybody's looking around, and I'm like, uh, exactly. like This okay. guy just really wanted to drive home the point. <laughs> just exactly wanted to make the point. But so, yes, there is. You know, and and there's, there are these differences in the, into how people memorize them or how they pick them up as a tradition. But as Drew was saying, there, I think, is a really great value when we go through it sort of on a phrase-by-phrase basis and understand really what it is that the Lord was trying to tell us how to pray here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So the, the way that this is actually broken down you have this intro, Our Father, which is, you know, good grief, there's so much richness just in, in that expression all by itself. But then after that, the prayer is actually broken down into six petitions. And so okay. if we were to recite it, just real quick to get everybody familiar, if, if you don't know the Lord's Prayer, um, it's Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So there's your first petition, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, there's petition number two. Thy will be done, there's petition number three, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, there's four, and forgive us our debts or trespasses, Trespasses whichever one you want to go to, as we forgive those who've trespassed against us or who who are debtors. Uh, That's number five. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil is number six. And hidden behind each and every one of those petitions, we don't realize this, but Jesus is inviting us to say really bold things about what we believe. Okay. Um, that if I think if we really understood what we pray when we pray this, mm-hmm. we, we might be a little bit more hesitant <laughs> to pray it as we do. Um, because it's basically the, one of the ideas of the Lord's Prayer is you're making a much of God, right? Mm-hmm. You're coming to him and saying, it all belongs to you, purpose, meaning, everything is yours, God. It's all about you, and you are so highly exalted. And when you come, it's also saying, and I rank a distant, distant, distant second. And all of mm-hmm. everything that I bring to the table is just need. And it's very humbling when you pray the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. 
you were showing your inner King James Bible there, <laughs> you know, Hallowed's and thighs and so forth. But, but, but Hallowed is a word that, that sticks around no matter how modern your translation yeah. is. Everybody likes that word. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be your name. Um, what does that word mean? Hallowed. When I'm yeah. saying, you know, it's like, it almost sounds like I'm saying hollowed, yeah. but it's not. It's even a mispronunciation of how we'd normally even say that word in English. Because right. you normally, like, you hear the hallowed hall. Right, we would say the hallowed. You know, we right. would say the hallowed. But here, right. or even, what is it in Harry Potter? The hallowed, isn't there a hallowed somewhere? Harry Potter and the, the Deathly Hallows. There you go, the yeah. hallows. All right, well, maybe not. But anyway, what that means is it, it means holy, very revered. It's, it's highly precious. And when we read that, we say, hallowed be your name. We almost want to say, it, almost like it's an adjective. We're th- it's like a throwaway statement where we're saying, hey, God, your name is holy. But that's not at all. When you get to the original language, which mm-hmm. this was all written in Koine Greek, the word there is hagiastero, and it's actually a command. You're, you're, it sounds bold to, to put it like this, but you're telling God to do something. Okay. You're, you're telling him, make your name holy. Oh, and all the okay. earth, so, and that's the way this this prayer actually begins. Um, you know, after you say "Our Father," which there's a ton behind that as well, you're saying, "God, I want Your name to be precious in all the earth. I want people to look at You, not me, and see You as as the centerpiece of all civilization and all the world. I want people to see Your." Name your identity, your essence, and to long for it more than anything else in the world. Make your name precious to the world. And that's, that's what you're also saying when you say that is it's not about my name. Yeah, and how powerful that like after crying out to the God who allows us to call him our father, that then, I mean, even just hearing, even just reading this verse, it's convicting like that that is that is what is supposed to be at the forefront of our heart and mm-hmm. our prayers when mm-hmm. we come to God is that is a cry for revival that people would see God as holy and see him for who he is and i yeah it's powerful but I, i'm just sitting here thinking like that is often not my first prayer <laughs> yikes well it's interesting because it's just like we talk about with a spiritual discipline you get into the word gymnazo the greek word meaning that we that we basically train the yeah. disciplines we train you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing and so here when we say you know god make your name holy i'm going back to what you said about the would you like to be holy if you understood what you were asking for, yeah. would you still ask that? So yeah. I'm thinking here, if it's, whether it's something like that here too as well, if we really understood what we were asking for, God, make your name holy, no matter what that takes, yeah. mm-hmm. what, no matter what the cost is to me or my family or my church or, my, or anything else, yeah. Ooh, would, yeah, would we, it's easy to say, you know, holy be your name and like meaning that, okay, that means it's going to be passively perceived as holy god we want everybody to see your name is holy that's great yay god's holy but no this is active you're saying you're saying Big we're time. we're petitioning god make your name holy meaning if it's not perceived as holy do something so that it would be and that's a lot bigger than just saying mm-hmm. god your name be perceived as holy absolutely yeah yeah it's and it's not just you know when jesus is is mm-hmm. teaching us how to pray it's not just hey we're petitioning the God to do something. Right. But we have to align our hearts to the truth of what we're saying. Like, we can't mm-hmm. just say, hey, your name really doesn't mean anything to me, but I'm going to pray this way because Jesus told me to. Right. You have to con- you have to consent to what he's saying. You have to say, your name's more important than mine. I want your name to be precious. And when you think of it that way, you know, one of the most overlooked commandments, when when Moses is on Mount Sinai and he receives the Ten Commandments, Right. Uh, you know, the the first one, you should have no other gods before me. And the second one is you shall make no idols that you hold above me right. to bow down to. And then the third one we often look at as, and we dismiss it. It's, you know, you shall not uh, take the the name of the Lord in vain, right? Right. right. And we look at that, and we, we kind of reduce that to, you know, don't say Jesus Christ when you're angry or GD, right. all these other things that you can do when you're angry where you use God's name. But the the way that that is literally spelled out in the Hebrew, that, that word take, it literally means to carry or to bear. It's don't bear my name in vain. And what he's talking about, it's not just the way we speak, but it's the way we live that can make God's name meaningless. In other mm-hmm. words, if, if I say, hey, everyone, look at me, I'm a Christian, and I'm cruel, and I'm mean, and I'm not charitable, I'm not merciful— 
I'm giving the, I'm making the name of Christ by bearing his name. I'm making it look meaningless. Mm -hmm. And so that even more so than what comes out of your mouth, I think what comes out of your heart and in your actions, you can violate the third commandment and the way you live. And in fact, one of the most famous stories of sin in the Bible comes with a King David, you know, who lived a thousand years before Jesus. And he has this, he's, he's this man who loves Jesus, right? He, or loves God. And he's, he's chasing after God's agenda. He becomes King. He's this wonderful man. But when he gets power and wealth, he begins to fall apart. He begins to get proud and he takes advantage of this woman, has her husband killed. He falls into this terrible season of sin. And when God sends a prophet to confront him on all this, right? You know, you've done these things. How could you have done this? The sin that he lays at David's feet above all those things is you've given an occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme his name. In other words, you're supposed to be the king of the people of God. Right. And now everybody's looking at you. Is this what your God represents? Is this? And I can tell you, like, in all of my ministry, when I come across people who want nothing to do with the faith anymore, it's rarely because they look at Jesus and say, yeah, he's not that attractive. Right. He's not that good. Almost always what it is is somebody who claimed to be a Christian just destroyed me. And they, they mistreated me. And I want nothing to do with the church. I want nothing to do with Christianity. Why? Because they made the name of God look like trash. Right. And when Jesus is saying, you know, when he's teaching us to pray, make your name holy, hallowed be your name. Like Drew was talking about, there's implications to that. It should change the way we live. We should want to, we should live in a way that makes his name precious to those around us. Right. And so that idea of making God's name first above our name is for our own good because if it becomes, you know, the the Sam show or the Mark show or the Drew show and not the Jesus show, yeah. we're going to hide what's just ravaging us. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we won't have freedom to seek help. Yeah. And we all need that. There's no one who is immune. No one. For yeah. the record, if this becomes the Mark show, that means something terrible happened to both Sam and Drew. <laughs> 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 I'm not doing this by myself. Um, so, so we understand that we're establishing a position with this hallowed be yeah. your name. So that's where we begin here. We're, we're, we're saying, God, we want you to make your name holy. But then we move right into talking about his kingdom. Yeah. Your kingdom come. Okay, so what kingdom are we talking about, first of all? I mean, we're engaged in a sermon series right now from the Sermon on the Mount where we're talking about the kingdom and a yeah. kingdom. You know, when we say your kingdom come, are we saying... Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come back at the end of it all and straighten all this out? Or are we talking about a kingdom that is here now? What what kingdom are we talking about? So the kingdom that a lot of people, when they hear that, it's like, you know, theocrats, you know, they they want God's kingdom to come and reign. And, you know, it's like for Muslims, Sharia law. That is not what we're getting at here at all. So Jesus says this. Remember when he's on trial and he goes... Uh, before Pilate, one, one of the things that Jesus teaches, my kingdom is not of this world, right? Mm-hmm. His kingdom is about heavenly things, heavenly like justice and peace mm-hmm. and mercy. Those are the attributes of heaven, the attributes of God. And so one of the things that when we pray here is later on in the next petition, it's thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this idea of the kingdom is bringing about the character and nature of God, his justice, his pattern, the design for, for in which he made this whole world is to bring about that beautiful pattern where love reigns, where justice reigns, where mercy reigns, where kindness reigns, the fruit of the spirit reigns, and bringing that down to this earth as it exists in heaven, right? Okay. And so that is a kingdom that we can get. Jesus teaches the kingdom exists inside of his people. The kingdom exists inside of me. His kingdom reigns, and it's a kingdom where, uh, you know, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's Romans. Uh, it's a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. We're, we're a kingdom that's constantly pointing each other to the forgiveness of God. So it's not this kingdom where, you know, we pick up swords and shields and we march and conquer. That is the antithesis of what it's after here. It's saying, I want your kingdom, God, because this, the kingdoms of this world, good night, they're wicked. You know, Mm -hmm. we see all sorts of injustices and genocides and racial mess. Our kingdoms are a train wreck. 
Right. His kingdom is beautiful, and I want his kingdom to come here and reign. So when we're praying, your kingdom come, we're not necessarily praying, God, we want the United States of America to become a theocracy. No. Where we want to be the only religion in charge and that kind of thing. It's Absolutely not, it's not, not. at all a political statement. We're talking about the kingdom that's within you, that's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit in Romans 14. Correct. So, um, so we are talking about something there that people should be able to agree with. Yeah, I've always, I've always wrestled with that verse and thought of it like when you read about the kingdom of God in Scripture, right, mm-hmm. in Revelation, it's described, I mean, in a ton of ways, but predominantly the kingdom of God is where God is with his people. Mm-hmm. Um, he is their God and we are his people. And mm-hmm. so that I, I've always understood that prayer for your kingdom come of that is the heart of who our God is, that mm-hmm. he begins by saying, you know, call out to your father, honor his name, um, and have that be the kingdom that's yeah. on your hearts where you like having this kingdom passion where we're living our life here in full confidence of that is where we're going. Like yeah. that is, that is the goal of all of it is to be in relationship, to be with our God because we are his people. Yeah. And so longing for that here mm-hmm. and now, and not just one day when I get there. Right. Yeah. And that, and that is actually one of the patterns. If you go back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, one of the, it's a, it's their parallel stories right next to each other in Genesis 11. And then in Genesis 12, you see two totally different examples of the way this world works. In Genesis 11, you have the famous story of the Tower of Babel. And in the story of the Tower of Babel, you find this group of people that says, we don't want to be scattered all over the world, so let's make this kingdom, right? It's the, Babel is the first city of the kingdom, and all the people come together because they don't want to be scattered all over the earth, and they build this tower with the aim of reaching into the heavens, and the reason that they give is we want to make a name for ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And, and doing that, what they've done at the beginning of creation, God tells Adam and Eve, I want you to go out to the ends of the earth, right? I want you to, to subdue the earth. I want you to bring it all under the beauty that I've designed. I want you to make the earth a garden. I want you to spread and, and do all these beautiful things all over the earth. And so here at Babel, you say, we're not doing it. We're doing it our way. We're not <laughs> scattering, right? <laughs> and, and it should be, as we said in, in the first petition of this prayer, you know, your name be hallowed, but in the story of the Tower of Babel, what's their reasoning? We want to make a name for ourselves. And so you get these people, and it's all about their name. Right. It's all about their kingdom, their comfort, their will. They want to do things their way. Ah, I and see. it starts. So there's one. There's there's the kingdom of man. That's the way we live. That's our instinct. It's all about me. What right, I can get. Right, it's right. my kingdom. It's my name. It's my whatever. And then you come across the very next chapter. You run into this guy named Abraham. That all the major religions of the world lift up Abraham, right? Mm-hmm. And what defines him? God comes to him, calls him out of his wealth. And says, hey, I want you to leave everything you have, all your purposes, all your will, your kingdom, your everything, right? I want you to pick up and I want you to go where I'm going to show you. And the Bible says that Abraham begins to call on the name of the Lord. So where the kingdom of man is saying, it's my name, my kingdom, Abraham says, no, it's your name and your kingdom. And so you have these two kingdoms, my kingdom and God's kingdom. It's it's not even the United States. We think about, you know, the kingdom of England. We tend to think political, tribal. Yeah, yeah. Sure. No, it's my kingdom. I want to run my life. I'm on the throne of my life. And what Jesus is calling us to say in this prayer is, no, I have no, I don't even have a right to the throne of my life. I need to lay down the crown and control of my life and say, no, 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 not my kingdom. Your kingdom come. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where we're going. You know, just again, the flow from Lord, make your name holy. Well, if his name is holy, our name isn't. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> your kingdom come. If his kingdom's coming, our kingdom's not. Yeah. So this is really all about saying, hey, we're going to turn completely away from ourselves and turn to you. But really, I mean, if we stop, who would say, hey, my kingdom is much better than his? You know, I, sh- I should push my kingdom. My, my kingdom is going to be way better than his kingdom. Are <laughs> you like, every yeah. time I try to push my kingdom, my life turns into a total train wreck. I, I don't think there's anybody who believes that God exists and believes that God has a kingdom who would say that, that yeah. their kingdom is better. I think more likely it is. They might that, not say that, but they'll live like it. Yeah, I would say, I think more likely is it creeps in because mm-hmm. we tend to get caught up in the 
immediate. Yeah. You know, the, the tyranny of the immediate. It's like, okay, I have to do this today. Yeah. And you lose sight of why you're doing it and what the bigger picture is. Everything that you live for outside of God. Sure. A paycheck, a house, cars, wealth, retirement, all of it is going to be stripped away from you at the grave. Every yes, bit it of, And you know it. Like, yeah. everybody knows that. You're going through this life trying to hold on to things that are, you know, Ecclesiastes says are like smoke, you know, or vapor. You can't hold on to any of it. Right. And so everything that we do for our own kingdoms, like, and I'm totally with you. I do this all the time. I right. live for my own kingdom. But in his kingdom, we have victory over the grave. Our relationships don't end. Everything that we invest in this life then goes on. His mm-hmm. kingdom is just so much richer, but we live as though this is all there is. It's, we're, we're really stupid creatures. <laughs> but it also is so beautiful. I know we're going to get to it, but that the whole prayer begins with this petition of hallowed be your name, then into thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Mm-hmm. Because it, I just find myself sitting here thinking, like, Drew, do you find the name of God precious? And right. do you honor God and glorify God as holy and set apart? Or I think in my life, like, when I'm living for, for Drew and for for myself and for what I want and all the plans that I have, it's because I have subtly or sometimes consciously made my name more precious. And mm-hmm. so I think it just begins by before like having to even get into the nitty gritty of all the ways that we mess this up, which he's going to get to at the yeah. bottom of the prayer. I love that he starts by just this call to return, like sure. return to hallowing my name yeah. and to finding my name precious, because that is the only way you are going to be able yeah. to pray and desire for the kingdom of God to come and to want his will. Like right. if we don't find his name precious and if we don't believe that he is who he says he is and worthy to be honored, this, none of this is going to be what right. flows out of us. Yeah. But the good news, and this is one of the things when you come into this, you begin the prayer with two words that you have to hold on to when you pray the rest of it. And that's our father, our father yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're not lifting up his kingdom so that he'll love us, right? Mm. No, he's our father at the beginning of the prayer. Yeah. We're going to fail. We're securing that. We're yeah. going to mess up. We, he is our father because his son came and clothed us in the perfection. Perfect righteousness is ours because of what Jesus did on our behalf. And now we are adopted sons of the king. Mm-hmm. And so before we offer up any of these petitions, and there's not a person on the planet besides Jesus himself that can offer up these petitions without stain on their hands, Mm -hmm. you know, that do these things imperfectly. But you have to offer them up remembering he's my father and I'm secure in that love. And so, but this really is my desire as much as I mess it up and as much as I don't do this the way I ought, you know, Abba, my father, my dad, like, I want you to be honored. I love you, even if I might not do this perfectly and rest in the fact that, you know, we have the love of a father that clothes all of this with grace. Well, then there's freedom in that. Like Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation Mm -hmm. for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think like you're saying, remembering who we are, remembering Christ, remembering that through Christ, we are able to pray these bold prayers yeah. um, because God is our Father. It frees us to be honest about the ways we don't find God's names precious yeah. and the way that we we don't long for His kingdom if yeah. we're honest mm-hmm. because it's not coming from a place of shame and earning of God's love. But I can I can recognize and own the ways I have yeah. failed to honor God the way He deserves because I know that. He's already, like, I'm his. That's not being taken from me. And so that is, yeah, it's powerful. It is. You made reference to it a couple times, you know, your will be done. That's kind of the next clause. And to me, this first, the first three here, as you said, Sam, earlier, are very much connected. And as I was thinking about your will be done and and kind of looking ahead at that and thinking, you know, what what does that mean to me? The first thing that, that rang in my head was, how do I know what his will is? It's like, it's like, or am I just praying generically like your will be done and Sam will figure it out? <laughs> like, God, I want yeah. your will done. Drew will figure out what it is and she'll tell me and then I'll do it. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Or are we, or is this a, a voyage of discovery where we're saying, God, reveal to me your will and then make me able to do or willing to do it? 
Yeah. I, uh, yes. Yes, yes. To both. <laughs> okay. Except for the part that Sam is going to figure it's out the both. will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I, you know, I think one of the things, one of the things that I read about this is when you say your kingdom come, you're begging God to change the realities of the world you're experiencing, right? And when you pray your will be done, it's saying, but Lord, give me a heart to accept reality as it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that if the kingdom doesn't come, if, if all the circumstances don't change, if his kingdom doesn't come and reign and change the reality of the way the world is working, give me peace at recognizing that you're in charge and your will be done. And that's really hard to do. You know, we can, I know people that have prayed earnestly, like with everything they've got for something. And it's been, you know, 15, 20 years that they've been praying this and seen, oh, not seen God move. I know. Mm-hmm. And to be able to say at the end of every one of those seasons, okay, God, your will be done. I'm, I'm okay with your will. My will would be totally different, but your will be done. I keep thinking about Jesus in the garden. Oh, yeah. yeah. Totally. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I mean, yeah. the, the Son of God yeah. saying, I really don't want to go through this. Yeah. I really don't want to face this cross, but not my will, your will be done. So, so yeah, what, what Mark is talking about, there's this, and in, in Gethsemane, the night that Jesus is going to be arrested, where he's going to be arrested, he falls down in prayer. He's in total agony. He knows that the wrath of God for all the sin of mankind is about to fall on him. He knows that he's going to go to a cross. He's predicted it ahead of time. Right. He knows he's going to be arrested, and yet he stays there waiting for the Romans. He sees them from the valley, the valley of Kidong, that coming across with the torches, and he stays to be arrested. He doesn't fight to flee. Right. And prior to this, he's saying, Lord, I don't want to drink this cup. And if you understand the Old Testament prophets, that's the cup of God's wrath that's being mm-hmm. reserved for the wickedness of man that Jesus is about to drink bone dry so that we don't have to. And he's saying, I don't want to go through with this. No. I, I don't want to, I don't want to suffer like this. I, and he's done nothing wrong to suffer for it. But he says, but not my will be done. Like you said, yours be done. And so one of the, one of the things that I love about that is here you have God himself in the flesh who's teaching us how to pray, right? Mm-hmm. You say your, your will be done. And yet he is not above offering those words in a far more painful manner than any one of us ever will. Mm-hmm. You know, he is going to the cross and he doesn't just say, Hey, subjects suck it up and pray this way. Thy mm-hmm. will be done. He has to carry a burden far greater than any one of us ever will. And he submits to the will of the father. Mm-hmm. That's who we follow. It's not, you know, it's, it's not the boss that tells everybody else to, have to deal with all the crap if i'm allowed to say that <laughs> I don't know. if you're not i'll edit it out i'll, I'll check with the podcast standards group no you. you are actually on a podcast it doesn't matter so. but but he walks ahead of us he suffered far greater than us he yeah. he has lifted up the father's name he's lifted up the <laughs> father's kingdom he's lifted up the father's will above his own and this is god in the flesh like that's mm. powerful see again what that means to me is that when i say your will be done that I'm saying that even at my own great personal expense, mm-hmm. because Jesus is, our, Jesus is our model, yeah. and he says, not my will, but your will be done, knowing what great personal expense was going to come. So if we pray this prayer, we're saying we're ready for whatever the consequences are to that. Yeah. That's a, that's a heavy thing. Big that's time. Good, that's going to make me get quiet on that one. <laughs> Next time we recite the Lord's Prayer, you know, <laughs> hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, and then we're going to the next one. You know, it's like, I don't want your will be done. What's going to do to me? And that just, that highlights how much our God, two things, how much he loves us. You know, the Bible says for the joy set before him, right? you know, he went through all this and endured the shame. What is that joy? It's us. He's so excited to see us redeemed and perfected. But at the same time, it also reveals that our God really hates with a deep passion the wickedness and brokenness of this world because that is what he went to the cross to defeat, Mm -hmm. sin and death. And so when we make light of sin and death, no, man, this this cost the Son of God his life. He went went to the cross— for the measure of how much he hated the effects of mm-hmm. sin and death upon this world. Yeah. That's even in, um, I was just looking at finding the verse, but even in first Thessalonians four, it says how, uh, God's will is that we would be sanctified. 
So a part of God's will is that we would be made to look more sure. like Christ, which yeah. is a bold prayer because that also means when I say thy will be done, not only am I saying your will, what you would have for my life come to be, I'm also saying make me more like you, right. like it, which leads us right into the rest of the prayer as well. Uh, but that's a bold prayer too that like, I just, with, with every single one of these, I'm realizing like how quickly I speed through them. But when I really sit and rest in it, you could, you could spend hours. I mean, you could spend forever praying Mm -hmm. on each of these petitions. Well, it kind of gets, and of course, everything that anybody ever says makes me think about the book of Romans. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's like the inside joke here at church. It's like, oh yeah, Mark's going to talk about Romans at some point. But this, as we're talking about it here, does make me think about Romans chapter eight, verse 28, people offer it as comfort. They come up and they pat you on the back and they say, God works all things together for good. You know, that kind of thing. And what was the purpose? He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's verse 29. Read one more verse down and you find out what he's saying. And yes, it's good. It's the ultimate good. But the fact is that he's making us more like Christ. Mm -hmm. And as we're talking about here, it's that we have to be willing to enter into these difficult things just yeah. as Jesus was. It doesn't mean that everything has a yeah. a good component as we would define good. Yeah, it's not mm. easy. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's good. Yeah. And, and one of the things that you see, if I look back at the things that have shaped my life most for the good, it has been in seasons where I've been required to stretch, where it's been painful, where there have been tears, And on the other side of that, God has grown me as a person, required me to lean more on him, has brought people into my life that have made my life so much richer, but it came through that furnace. You know, Mm. gold is is refined through fire. Diamonds are made by intense pressure and darkness, and, and we are refined through trials. You know, and the Bible doesn't, it doesn't shy away from that. You know, we're, we're to... We're partakers. We're in the fellowship of, of sufferings, you know, and when we become more like Christ, it's it's that idea of laying our lives down, laying our desires down, um, and sac- and offering up sacrificial love. That's hard, um, mm-hmm. but it's going to make us more like him, which in the long run makes the world more beautiful and makes us more beautiful. So do, do you think after listening to this podcast that anybody out there is ever going to want to say the Lord's Prayer again? <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. But hopefully saying yeah, it it's more, not, with, more not with understanding. Right, yeah. More with understanding. With the depth that, to it. Yeah. That's really the goal here. The goal is not that we get people scared from saying the Lord's Prayer, but that you say it with your eyes open so well, that you understand adds, what you're saying. Because it adds to it. You're it right. It adds to it. And it, it makes it so powerful to be able yeah. to sit in these things and say, Jesus doesn't just want you to pray this and feel... Like it's a 10 second thing that you go through and you go on your way, but there is a, a transformative piece that comes in really wrestling through this prayer that like is, I think my hope in, in talking about this and at least what's happening for me as I hear this conversation is not only is this what Jesus gave us, but it's like an invitation of, I've been missing out on Mm -hmm. the richness of what Jesus provided for me when I simply just like glaze by it or when I, to be honest, like when I don't consider the Lord's prayer nearly enough and I Mm -hmm. just arrow prayer things that Mm -hmm. come to my mind, which typically are more about me. If I, I mean, unfortunately, one of the the ways that helps me when I read through this is to put it in my own words Hmm. to, to say, you know, rather than our father, hallowed be thy name, you know, to say, God, I want you to be precious to other people. Help Hmm. me to participate and live in a way that makes your name look precious and stopping at each of these petitions and expanding on it. Like, what does this mean to me? And it really does. It, it changes the way that you pray. Mm-hmm. And so those first yeah. three petitions that we just went through, right? Those are all very, very God focused. God's it's name, God's not name, ours, God's, God's kingdom. kingdom. Yeah. Which not is ours. so telling. God's how will. To pray. Yeah, yeah. And that's how you start. That's in other words, begin. what's most important when we pray, we think, okay, God fixed this. <laughs> you know, that's how we start. Usually <laughs> it is true. I'm going through this, this and this. Yeah. And what he's saying it is, is no, I want you to come and be with me. Like commune with me, come into relationship with me, reflect on my goodness and how I've cared for you and how I'm your father and all of those things before you get to saying, Hey, I need this stuff. Um, and that will one, it will prepare your heart and right. put you in a good spot. But also resign yourself that ultimately it's about what God wants, not what I want, before yeah. you start giving him your wish list, you know? Right. And it, it does change your heart. Prayer prayer changes 
our heart. Mm-hmm. But the, so the first three are very God focused. The next three, the last three, are very us focused. Okay. And but but they're us focused in a way that says we are in great need. And so there's this this idea that you're really exalting God and lifting Him high, right? Mm-hmm. In your mind and in your heart. And then the last three petitions, we're recognizing just how low, and and I, and when I say low, I mean in a needy way, like utterly um, dependent, like mm-hmm. a child coming to his father. Right? Mm. I need you. I'm dependent upon you, and that's a good thing, not yeah. in a humiliating way, but in a I understand who I am in the scheme of the universe <laughs> right. reality. I really need you because I'm weak and I'm broken and I come with a mess and I need my father right now. Right. And even the, even the way that the, the prayer starts, you'll notice this. It's our father. And what you'll find in these when we come and say the rest of these last three petitions, it's never me, my, I. It's always collective. We're praying not just for me. Right. It's for everybody. And so this prayer comes with a great deal of humility. It's about God first, lifting him up. And even when we get to our petitions, it's our petitions, not Mm -hmm. me. So it's give us, not give me. Okay. Give us this day our daily bread is that petition. And, (laughs) you know, of all the things that we've talked about, this one I think is probably miss what this is actually praying for. And now people are really not going to want to pray this. (laughs) I was just about to say. Okay, tell them what we're praying for. When so for when, when Jesus offers this, this part of the prayer up, you give us this day our daily bread, um, he's actually quoting from Proverbs, and he's quoting Agur in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8, and pro- he says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. That's what Jesus is getting at. So when you say, give us this day our daily bread, what you're saying is, don't give me less than my daily bread, right? Right. Augur goes on, he says, or I'll be tempted to steal and dishonor your name. But don't give me more <laughs> than my daily bread. Don't give me riches because I'll be tempted to think mm. that I'm so prosperous and so good and so powerful and so wonderful that I don't need you. So just give me my daily bread. Now, if you realized when you were offering up the <laughs> Lord's Prayer, you're saying, this is what Jesus is, and he's, this is what he's implying. Right. Don't give me riches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's I was, different, yeah. I, yeah, I was teaching on this in one of our Wednesday night classes, and I said, do you realize that this is what you're praying? You're praying, don't give me riches? And, and one of the ladies in the back says, it's working. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the first thought. Yeah, I'm doing fine on what? that not getting riches part. That's good. And it makes me think an exodus of when God provided the Israelites with manna. Yeah. And so when he rained, when they were in the desert, they're hungry, yeah. and he rains down bread from heaven for them, but he didn't he didn't give them enough to where they just had excess of it all the time. Yeah. It was enough for that day. Right. Yeah. Um, they couldn't store up and he commanded them. Yeah. Not to store up, but to take what they needed for that day. Right. So one of the fascinating things, this is, this might be a little bit of a, a rabbit trail, <laughs> but in the book of Genesis, <laughs> squirrel, it's, yeah, it doesn't take much. Okay. But in the book of Genesis, there's this pattern that develops. That's really fascinating with each and every one of the patriarchs. Cause Genesis from chapter 12, all the way to chapter 50 is really about four generations of one family. And so you have Abraham and God tells Abraham, Hey, I'm going to give you this great land that I'm going to show you. And Abraham gets there and the land is in famine, right? There's is not so great a land. And Abraham thinks, oh, what do I do? I, have, I, I need to fix this. And so he goes down to Egypt to get grain, mm-hmm. and everything blows up on him down there. It's, this is not good. Uh, you can read the story for yourself. Uh, then Isaac comes along in chapter 26, uh, Abraham's son, and there's another famine. And you're like, man, this place has a lot of famines. And God comes to Isaac and says, do not go down to Egypt. Trust me. And Isaac does. And the land has this bountiful harvest, and he grows his wealth and crops a hundredfold of any of his neighbors. Then you get to Isaac's son, Jacob, and there's another famine. And what does Jacob do? He sends his sons down to Egypt to get grain because there's, he doesn't trust that there's going to be provided there. And it turns out great. Joseph is there. And anyway, you can read that story for yourself, too. But going down to Egypt, they all get enslaved. And that starts the story of the 400 years of slavery before Moses. Mm-hmm. And what are they doing the whole time that they're in Egypt? It's almost like an object lesson. We're told that they're not building pyramids and they're not building statues. Gen- or Exodus tells us they're building storage cities, right? Storing up grain, just storing up. There's not enough. Store it up, store it up, store it up. 
And so like it almost reads like a detox program that when the Israelites leave Egypt and they go out in the wilderness, he gives them one day. Remember, they, they don't trust God in the promised land. They have to run down to Egypt continually. Mm-hmm. They're storing up grain. And in the Sermon on the Mount, what's the main message? You ask the Lord for your daily bread. And what else does Jesus say? Do not store up treasures right. on this earth where right. rust destroys moth eats. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah, and so that's together. the idea. So that big object lesson of Genesis and Exodus is hit in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't cool. store up. Don't store up. Trust God for this day. Um, now, what that's not teaching <laughs> is don't have a retirement program and yeah. just wing it every day. But what it is saying is, do not allow the pursuit of wealth to master you. Because a retirement program, technically, is just about providing daily bread. Correct. For in retirement. The right. In the future. So we're not, uh, we're not saying this is fiscal foolishness. But, right. You know, it is an admonition against greed, though. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, that's absolutely. The, that's the an big, invitation to trust God. It is. That's the, you know, and that's, you know, I will tell you that that's one of the most difficult things for me personally, because it's easy for me to trust God when I've got a couple days in the bank, you know, <clears throat> but yeah. when you, when I'm being told, okay, trust God this day for your daily bread, when you don't know where the bread is coming from. Yeah. Mm. And that's an interesting thing because I'm good. I'm fine with the, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be rich. We're neither. We're comfortable. We're good in the middle somewhere, you know? So I feel like I'm hitting the mark there. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not rich. I'm not poor. Um, that kind of thing. But at the same time, this idea of if the bank was empty, if I had nothing, mm-hmm. could I still get up in the morning and say, I'm, I know by the end of the day, God's going to have provided my daily bread. That's hard. Yeah. When That's I first, hard. When I first met my wife, Laura, uh, she had just returned from the mission field uh, where she lived in Kiev, Ukraine uh, for three and a half years. And when we met, uh, she just transitioned to South Florida and she had a couple of hundred dollars to her name and that was it. No savings, no wow. nothing. And I rem- like I, I felt anxious for her. <laughs> I was stressing out for her. And to her it was like, Yeah, it's no big deal. You know, God has always provided. And it's like but 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 you know? yeah. I have you friends know? like that who are just so confident. Yeah. And God's got this. And you know what? And he, he does. He always did. Yeah, he does. He always did. That that's one where I'm I'm like I'm like Mark. I I I feel a lot easier praying this when I know that there's money in the bank account. Yeah. <laughs> but I can look back at my life and the and the seasons where he did stretch us as a family and he always provided. Yeah. He always provided. And in the area in the seasons when we weren't sure how that was gonna work or we had to make cuts or whatever, he gave peace in the middle of it. You know, and those were those were some of the sweetest seasons of our marriage. Thankfully, I didn't have to deal with any of those last minute things. You know, the story you hear from the people is like, okay, the mortgage was due. Um, we, you know, and they, they were coming to the house to evict us, and suddenly we found an envelope that someone had buried in 1855 beneath the floorboards, <laughs> and in it were these ancient gold coins that were worth just enough to pay the mortgage. You hear these amazing stories do, from yeah. people, and I'm like, that never happens to me. <laughs> Never happens to me, you know? And yet at the same time, one of the things that we've seen in, in my family is that either my wife or myself have always done well at some point. One of us or the other has done, now, you know, I work for a church now, so she's the one doing well. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> one or the other of us was always able to provide, was always able to do something. And so I've never had to have one of those last minute things. And yet I look at that and I'm like, God never had us both on the outs at the same time. Mm-hmm. His, there was never a time where both of us were, were without money, without a job thinking, okay, where are the groceries going to come from? We've never had to face that. Yeah. And there are people who go through that right now. Yes, there are. You know, like all over the world in ways that I can't even. Especially outside of America. Yeah, Yeah. in ways I can't even fathom, which is is hard. Like that's not easily brushed past. And yet coming to this understanding of God's word isn't just true sometimes and in some situations, but he is who he remains, who he is to all people at all times. Um, But my understanding of that, I do wrestle with that at times. I'm also sitting here thinking, um, we're talking about daily bread in the sense of, uh, like not only, but we've kind of been ha- emphasizing the financial sense of, that, you know, that um, is true. We've been thinking totally about money. Everyone. Yeah. But is like, how do you guys understand? Is it more than that? Is it relationships? Is it, is it your dreams and aspirations? Yeah. Is it, um, I, th- I think, it, yeah, I think it would be huh. those things that are essential to you. Okay. I, that's the, I guess that's kind of okay. the umbrella of that. Okay. 
Hmm. I really hadn't considered that. I've always thought of it in terms of of provision for financial needs and, you know, like food and and a house. Yeah, but I mean, and like Maslow's hierarchy or hierarchy or whatever. Uh, in terms of those things that you abs that every human being really needs, mm-hmm. you know, trusting the Lord to provide. I think that's the essence behind this. You okay. know, give us this day our daily bread, that which we need sustenance, and it's it's okay. spiritual bread, I believe too. You know, feed us. Okay, so now we move into forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And apology to my Lutheran relatives out there. I I have to say it the wrong way because it is a Presbyterian radio show (laughs) (laughs) or podcast or whatever this is, but forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is, um, there's a lot of presumptions in that, Sam. Yeah. Yeah. So right as soon as he says it, it's as you have forgiven others, there's a presumption that you have forgiven other people. Uh, and afterwards at the end of this prayer, he goes even deeper where he says, if you don't forgive others, I'm not, I won't forgive you. And that's weighty. Uh, and the way that I think he expects us to come to the table on this particular issue is to recognize there's this famous saying that says Christians should be the most forgiving people in the world because they're the most forgiven people in the world. Yeah. And when you really understand that. the weight and the cost of your sin and how much it costs to forgive you, you can't. And you just can't hold a much smaller debt over someone else's head when you've been forgiven. The God of the universe gave his life to forgive the costs and the debts that you've racked up against him. Nothing by comparison, even the worst mm-hmm. tragedies in the world, and that's, I don't mean to be flippant when I say that, but the worst tragedies that we could ever walk into do not equate to the Son of God hanging on a cross to forgive you. And so... That calls on us, even when it's painful to forgive, even when it costs us a great deal to open our hands and to let go of those grudges or debts or or vendettas or whatever, you have to, when you forgive, you always do it in light of how much you've been forgiven. Yeah. And all of these things that we've been working through, we've seen how they are intensely personal. Like every single petition in this is meant to be a prayer that we work through with the Lord. Right. And this one specifically, I know for myself and for those of us around the table, and I'm confident for many others, when they read this passage, this specific petition, it's intensely personal because I guarantee mm-hmm. we all have people and faces who come to mind, ways that we know maybe we've wronged other people, um, ways that we have been wronged ourselves, maybe even actively ways that we're struggling to forgive. And so I think that on that note, I would say, um, it, if you're listening to this, it's, I would encourage you to, to know that this is not a, um, a far off command that doesn't consider, right. um, you and your heart and what you're going through. Like this is the God who knows you, loves you, knows everything yeah. about your, what you're going through, um, and has intimately stepped into that with you. And right. so I think you have to start there that this is not just, Hey, get over it, forgive. Yeah. Um, because if, if that, it just feels cold and yeah. it and- feels disheartening. And one of the important distinctions when you're talking about mm-hmm. forgiveness, because there's people that have been through unbelievable injustices, right? Um, forgiveness is not ignoring justice. Yeah, not so if somebody breaks into my house and does, you know, something cruel to my children, forgiveness is not, okay, well, I don't want the authorities to press charges and I don't want you to right. go to jail. No, I want you to go to jail. You deserve justice for, for what you've done. That's not the same thing. What forgiveness is saying is, I am not going to harbor intense resentment and let your actions own my heart. Hmm. I am going to release that as best I can with the Lord's help, but I do believe justice still should come. Sure. Which is also, uh, justice is like at the heart of God too, you know, Mm -hmm. which goes back to the beginning of this prayer. And I think with this, like, That was beautifully said. And it's just, there's so much to hash out in this. Mm -hmm. And we had even kind of talked about the idea of doing this conversation further and more in depth at another time. Because it could be a full episode. Yeah. We could talk about forgiveness. There's just so much there. There's been, there've been times when people have done things to me that's unpleasant Mm -hmm. and I don't like it, but I live with it. It's okay. You know, I'm like, well, yes, but I get this sense of outrage. Sure. At the idea of somebody harming someone I love and feel responsible for, 
I mean, look, to be honest with you, don't here's, even hurt my cat. But here's if you here's, hurt my cat, we're going to have trouble. Here, uh, I, and I believe that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but here's something that's think about that. You know, one of your children, right? Yeah. It's hard to think of. It, it is. It, it, it actually you gets your blood you pressure going. Even I can't just let my mind it. go there because it does. It's too much. But but now I want you to to pause for a moment and imagine. Here's the God of the universe who has this infinitely hmm. powerful affection and relationship with his son eternity mm. past and what caused on the cross this unbelievable painful moment where jesus is crying out why have you forsaken me to his father yeah, yeah. why because of you right you have done the thing that mm. I have done the thing that I said I couldn't forgive anyone if they ever did that to me. The level and the extreme nature of God's love is that my sin has harmed his son. It's caused him unspeakable grief and torment and loneliness and anguish. And God has looked at me and said, I, not only I forgive you, but I'll take the justice. Yeah. Mm. That's wild. That's that's stunning. And so mm-hmm. when you realize the power of that forgiveness, the depth of God's forgiveness, I'm right there with you, man. If somebody harmed one of my little ones, they better. <laughs> it's it's I hope you need to hope the police are the ones yeah. that get you. Yeah. And that God, God starts but, getting to my heart before I get to you because yeah. good Lord. But I do, you know, and it is. And so, yeah, let's do this. Let's acknowledge that this is a really difficult, that Definitely. forgiveness by itself is a, yeah. is a topic that we could spend an hour talking about just forgiveness. Because mm-hmm. I think that there's this, there's, I, I know, it's like I, I can see, there's people that are listening to this podcast who are locked in this thing of I need to forgive and I can't find yeah. it. I can't find a way to forgive. And I think that we can do more to, to help honor them. that by saying talking about more. That, right. yeah but so, there is very definitely a sense where god expects us to be able to forgive because we've been forgiven and mm-hmm. that's another one of those things you need to pray this with your eyes open folks yeah now it's a it's a big it's a big prayer none none of these petitions are easy and so it, it's almost when you pray this it really requires you to check <laughs> where your heart is and this prayer you know you've heard so often Prayer, prayer might not necessarily change God. It changes you. It does. Yeah. It, it absolutely you. does. That's the most valuable thing about prayer is the fact that when I pray, something inside of me changes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I tell you, and I, and <laughs> I don't want to move us too, too quickly past the forgive us our debts, but I really want to talk about lead us not into temptation because that final thing here, when you were talking about this in the spiritual formation class, you talked about the fact that Jesus was deliberately led into yeah. the temptation of the wilderness. Yeah, Matthew that, 4. That God took him, led him there. By the Spirit. Specifically to be tempted. And so I've always, as I was growing up, right, I thought, that's just badly worded. Lead us not in temptation. What we're really saying is um, that God just keep us away from temptation. Mm-hmm. But what we're, what, we, what we're saying is that there's a possibility that God could bring us to temptation when we face temptation does god bring us to that point so well, god, <laughs> see now i've put the pastor on the spot with a question like that and he's thinking i wish you'd have brought that up before we started recording <laughs> so so one of the you were gonna say something Allison, i think there's I'll a, let drew stumble let, on let, this let one. drew answer that one <laughs> well i'm just thinking of like oh god, goodness i need to find the passage but um Temptation and testing being different because okay. God also explicitly says in his word, he doesn't tempt anyone. Right. Um, and he tests people. So and he always makes a way to escape. And right. Yeah. So he's, he's very clear that he does not tempt anyone. So temptation um, does not come from him, but, but testing does, he, does come from him. But does he take us? Play, it's like, the, you know, Jesus was. Does he uh, test us? Matthew says that he, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness where he would be tempted. Yeah. So does that ever happen to us? Do we so get- are, I mean, I guess I'm wondering, as you're saying this, it's like, does God lead us to places where he tests us through, through temptation and temptation is knowing temptations there, Okay, but God, God never has anything to do with temptation because so, he's righteous and holy. So his hand does not give temptation. It's, it's a difference in motive. You I'm know? not accusing yeah. him of tempting. I'm just saying that. No, no, no. I know. I know where you're going because the language if, is like, well, wait, 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 what does this mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so the, the idea is this might be a bad analogy, but if, if I'm, so right now I'm on a diet and if I walked into, you know, Mark, your living room, it would be the difference between you having muffins out on the table, Mm. which is a test, right? Mm -hmm. I got to walk past those. I've got to ignore them. Or you going, 
hey, Sam, look at these muffins. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a difference in, you know, God allowing effective, you. Effective you, metaphor. <laughs> well, God allowing you to walk past the muffins and God going, hey, don't these look nice? Don't these look, you know, that he's different. He is saying that because he knows that's what I would do to him. <laughs> if he came into the house, I'm like, Sam. He really is that way. Sam, wicked. you still doing that keto thing, bro? Hey, keto. look at these. These are look good. Look at these carbs. Look, look at these. These are good. These are carbs that are worth it. So, and... I'm somebody that has a past history of problems with addictions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Me too. And, um, and so I, I worry about that sometimes. Simple rule. Like I don't watch a lot of scripted, dramatic television series. My wife watches a lot of these things. Even these shows where it's like, oh yes, they, they, they throw their clothes off and clinch and then they fade to black. I'm like, I know what happens next. Yeah. You finished the scene in my mind. Yeah. And so that's why I don't watch it. It's a place that I don't need. I don't need that. Mm. Um, and it, but that's my thing. So, so I, you know, that's part of it is like, I'm like, okay, well, I don't ever want to think about the fact that God might put me somewhere where, where do I look and how do I get out of here? I don't want, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. So. Anyway, that's what I'm thinking about. In terms of lead us not in temptation, as, a, as an addict, that's something you think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so God is not trying to lure okay. you towards sin. Good, thank and, you. And, and so with this, this, I last, feel better now. this last petition, which is kind of broken down into two parts. It does. It's, it's lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Now, which way do you think it is? you think it's, I the, think evil? it's the evil one? I think it is too. Um, yeah. so, but the idea is he is the one who's going to tempt. He's the one that's going to try to make sin look attractive. I, yeah. And, and by the way, with a sinful heart, it doesn't take much you know, yeah, to, to make sin look attractive. It's, it's fun, and it just always happens to lead to destruction. But in this idea, what, they're, what you're praying is, God, I am weak yes i'm weak and it's coming you know i, I with a capital w <laughs> capital w i remember doing so. premarital counseling and i forgive me if you're the couple listening to this <laughs> but i was doing premarital counseling with somebody who had come out of addiction and one of the things they said to me in the middle of the premarital counseling was when i asked them do you ever do you fear ever falling back into that addiction their response to me was no man i'll never go back there and Uh-oh. i said that is Uh-oh. the scariest thing you've said to me in our entire counseling yeah any sin that you struggle with, you need to recognize like, God, lead me not toward that. Like deliver me from that because on my own, I'm not strong enough. I'll fall. I need you and your help to deliver me away from that. Lead me away from that. And you just remembering that this prayer isn't, um, putting like putting a burden on you of do better, be better, get this done. But it's yeah. remembering the very beginning of the prayer, our father starting in this of you are praying this prayer from a place of security yeah. of you are made new in Christ. Um, and he's, he's moving in you. And so there is no condemnation. There is no shame. Um, but there is a, a prayer to be transformed. And right. so that, but again, even in this prayer, it's not meant to be a, hit you over the head with it, but it's a freeing one to call you away, like you said, from the evil one and into what God would have for us. Yeah. And even Jesus himself, it's interesting. Um, when he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted, um, even Jesus, who's God in the flesh, never sinned, perfectly righteous. There's a sense in which he says, I'm not leaning on my own flesh. And he cites the word of God every time. Yes. Um, so the, you know, the devil comes to him with three temptations and it's almost like Jesus is saying, he's giving us this wisdom that I can't lean on myself here. I'm going to throw myself to the word of God, and I'm going to let that be my reality, my rock, my truth, to buttress me against whatever temptation may be coming. Right. You know, that's an interesting thing. I don't remember if we talked about it or not in the overview. Maybe we did. But again, talking to some people that have problems with addictions. The one thing we talk about the spiritual disciplines and the value of the spiritual disciplines. One of the things I never hear when you talk to somebody is like, "Man, I just can't get I can't get loose from this." I'm like, "Well, tell you know, talk tell me about it." And I never hear this. I never hear somebody go, "Well, I get up in the morning, first thing I do, man, is open my Bible, spend some time reading, and then I'm on my knees and praying for a half hour and just really begging God for mercy and everything else." And He says, "And then I get up and I go right out and start shooting up or snorting yeah, yeah. or whatever." Yeah, you never hear that. Happen. You never hear that. Yeah. And so one of the first things that you talk to somebody about is, as a habit mm-hmm. is to develop these spiritual disciplines. You mentioned Romans 8.1, okay? 
that's that's very good. There's no condemnation. Those found in Christ Jesus. But then you go down to Romans 8, 5, and what he says is that those that have their minds set on the things of the flesh, you know, the, who live according to the flesh, have their minds set on the things of the flesh. Those that live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Yeah. So there's this... And that's, that idea of flesh is just your sinful, right. selfish instincts. It, and, but it's this idea of the live according to, that's making reference to what we're talking about here as spiritual disciplines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those who walk in this thing, those who develop these, these disciplines and habits... And then what that does is it sets your mind, it locks your mind onto the things of the spirit in which there is life and peace. So part of it, you know, one of the first things you tell somebody that's struggling with an addiction is let's talk about developing a healthy habit and practice and sticking to that. Because I never hear somebody go, yeah, I'm keeping up with all my healthy practices. But then as soon as I'm done, man, Mm -hmm. I'm off. I'm like, no, you're not. You know, and that's (laughs) no, you're not (laughs) one of the things that that you find in scripture so much is you have to be filled with Christ in order to do so much. So it's yes. like the Bible says, yeah. we love because he first loved. And this prayer, you find we forgive because we're forgiven, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Here, you're going to go out into the world and live righteously because you've been given righteousness. It's not, you're not dutifully trying to earn God's favor in all of this. But as you draw near to him, all those other things become you, – you don't want anything. John Bunyan, you don't want those things. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, sure. has this great quote where he says, Prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. But mm. like you said, you're never going to find someone Ooh, who's good. just really in prayer and really seeking the Lord and you know diving into the Scriptures and falling in love with the Word who's then going out and shooting up or doing whatever. You just – you don't find those in tandem. And so it comes with making that choice. That, that's at the heart of this prayer. I want your name to be greater than mine, your kingdom, your will greater than mine. Right. And when you do that, it changes you, and it will lead you away from temptations. It will begin to deliver you from the things that have shackled you uh, when you find freedom in Christ. Because if you try to do it in your own strength, or at least when I've ever tried to do something in my own strength, it's not going well. Yeah, no, it never not. goes well, hey, that's, hey. Which, which is why I'm on my like 38th round of dieting. Uh, so at the end of the day, when you're looking at the Lord's Prayer, these first three petitions, we make much of God, we exalt him, we lift him up for the infinite God that he is. He's way above us, right? He's way better than we are. But we also recognize our need. And so if you imagine God being lifted up and us kind of bowing down, the, the, the separation between us and God is filled by the cross. The chasm between us is filled by the cross. And so the greater we realize that God is, the, the holier he is, the, the just more magnificent he is, and the more need we have, all of that is bridged by the cross of Jesus. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed your time with us on the Out of Water podcast this week. Obviously, there's a lot more we could talk about with respect to the Lord's Prayer. Hopefully, though, we've given you this understanding of just what it is, what a deep and magnificent thing it is to, to go through that and understand that as a model for your prayer. And the next time that you do recite it, you'll do so uh, with your eyes more wide open. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash out of water.